Yo, yo, how y'all doing? This is with Just the Messengers Podcast. Of course, I'm Mo. I am Mike. We got a special, very special episode for you guys today. We're reporting live from a campaign quarter, headquarters of former chief of police of North Charleston. We got Mr. Reggie Burgess with us today. How you doing? I'm blessed, man. Thank you, Mike A. Mo, for allowing me to be on this podcast. No problem, Thank man. Thank you Anytime. for giving us this opportunity. Yes. Very, very special. So, how, how how you been doing lately, this new this new venture? I've been doing real, real good. Um, it's just a different uh, schedule that I have to work with now. I mean, when I was a former chief of police, now mayoral candidate from a unit in law enforcement, you have a structured schedule, um, eight in the morning to whatever time I come on at night. Now it's different because I have to really, uh, really get out a little bit more to different meetings. I would normally, in my former profession, have uh, community meetings. And when folks come to City Hall or I go out in the community, but now everything is structured on uh, businesses, you know, developers, uh, uh, communities, um, just a regular everyday walk of life people that just want to request your time, and you got to give people their time. Got you. Got you. Um, was this something that you always saw for yourself when you was chief of police or just in law enforcement period? Was this always something that you saw in your career path? Not really. Um, I really, so when I got into law enforcement in 1989, I just really wanted to make a change in my community. I saw my community suffering from social decay. And I just felt like when I was in college, every year, every year I came back, I said, man, you know, what can I do to improve the conditions? And um, I felt that uh, getting to the government, uh, direct government here in the city would be a better impact than trying to work for SLED or some other, the FBI. So that's why I got into law enforcement. And you're, you're right, it's like when you go through, when you matriculate through life, you learn along the way. You realize that you have more talents than you thought you had. Right. And um, so in 2020, 21, that's when I really said to myself, I said, man, I, I want to do something in the elected area. So I just decided um, uh, to actually put my hat in the, in the race. And um, I'm happy and that I, that I did it. Really am. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So you being born and raised in North Charleston, correct? Oh, born and raised here, and love it. And there's no other city in the world that I love like I love North Charleston. Okay, so just just talk about like your upbringing in North Charleston. It would also kind of push you into your role, you know, into getting into police, and you know, eventually to this venture. Yeah, when you uh, grow, grow up, when I grew up in the neighborhoods I did. I'm from Union Heights. I lived on a place called Daniel Jenkins Projects, which is over at the old Baker Hospital site. And then for like six or seven months, and then we moved into the George Degree, which is Horizon Village right now. And then we uh, end up on Liberty Hill. My mom's from Union Heights, my father's from Liberty Hill. And living in those neighborhoods, those communities, I mean, we were, we were close-knit. Um, we care for one another. Uh, we love one another. We could eat at anybody's house. And every family looked out for you. So I grew up with a family atmosphere in all those communities. But, like I said, when you're, you're looking at the conditions of some of the communities now, you should say to yourself, you should, what can I do? What part can I take to improve those conditions? It, it may not go back to back when I was growing up, but you wanted to work on that. So, uh, yeah, I, I actually I went to school here. I, went, I played all sports right here in North Charleston. I attend church here in North Charleston. Um, I did everything possibly that you, you could imagine as a young person would at the time in North Charleston. Um, my wife, you know, she she's uh, from Liberty Hill. Um, uh, my mother's, like I said, from Union Heights. My dad from Liberty Hill. But all my family's from you know different areas in North Charleston, Ackerby and Dorchester Road, and um, you know uh, Liberty Park area. I, I got family all over the place. So I just really wanted to really stay home. Uh, when I was in college. I've always thought about helping and reaching back. But I was told by a professor that I should go back. And because it's more impactful when you go back. Got you, got you. So just just being around North Charleston, you probably seen all the transitions, like the highs, the lows, and just just basically speak to like how do you think it has shifted over this, you know, this last probably 20, 30 years from where it is now and where do you see it going? That's a good question. I, I can remember when you got to aviation and rivers. Everything above that, all the way up to Ashley Phosphate, was dirt road. I, I remember these, these places. Yeah, that's a while where, ago. Yeah, that's a while ago. <laughs> that's you know a while back. I remember where, where 
City Hall is at. That was the first mall in North Charleston. It was yeah. called Gaslight. It, 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 no, it wasn't Gaslight. Oh, this it Gaslight. No, it was called Charlestown Square. Oh, okay. The name's still there. I heard that. The name is still there. Oh, it's still there? It's still there. But you look, okay. When you go to City Hall, you look on the, the marquee, it says Charlestown Square. That was the first mall we had in North Charleston. Now, the strange thing about it, I remembered it being wooded area before it became a mall. You know, it, oh, I, just, I remember okay. that. Okay. So I go back a long way. I mean, I'm 58 years old, so I go back a long way. But I saw how our city was, it was, a, it was called the North Area. That's what North Charleston was called, the North Area. Yep, we were, my, my address was 372 Nesbitt Avenue in the North Area. Then when the mayor, first mayor came, Mayor Bourne, he got with the business community and saw that we were such a great demand for the economy. And he said, let's make a, a city. So he got with the business community. He works for the government, North Charleston, city of North Charleston, and got with the community. They bought into it, and we became the city of North Charleston in 1972-73. Our zip codes changed from three to four, you know. So everything just changed around that. And um, when you when you see it, I mean, we had five high schools in North Charleston: Barnesville Central School I attended, North Charleston High, Garrett High, Stall High, and Shakur High. Now you say Shakur, Shakur is now military man. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Now every school there, those five schools I mentioned, it was in North Charleston. They all were. Either seven, three A or eight three A, so we we battled each other along the way. But what I realized about those schools, most all those schools in some form or fashion either had state championships, either in basketball, track, or football, or at least got there. So uh, we have a, a rich tradition in North Charleston. Then you have to look at how diverse our city is. We have some pockets where uh, the culture may be African American and some pockets where the culture may be Caucasian. Then you have a mixed pocket. Now we have a huge Hispanic Latino uh, area, and you have a lot of Asian folks now. I mean, I'm not talking about Asians like, uh, you know, probably uh, Chinese or Japanese. I'm talking about Indians, you know, from India. Okay. So you have a gotcha. whole lot of people. So it, it, this city is very, very, very uh, awesome when it comes to diversity. It's an awesome, diverse city. Uh, it seems like you got a, a real a real good experience with community and just overall, like, you know, like I said, like, yeah, township and community. Um, how do you plan on using that experience um, when you become mayor of, of North Charleston? Well, when you are here working, in the 34 years I've worked in the city of North Charleston, but prior to me becoming a police officer, looking at how the police department, when I was a young kid, how the African-American community looked at it how the interactions were. And I mean, you can look at any city in America, you, you have always had issues with law enforcement, has always had issues with the African-American community and vice versa. And it's the truth. So what do we do or what do I do and with my leadership when I was the chief of police to work on those issues? Well, working on those issues is first of all, acknowledging that you have issues. right? And then once you acknowledge it, then you bring in people that can help you to heal internally. Because if you don't heal the internal wound, you cannot heal externally. Right. So um, I looked at that, and when I actually came up the ranks, I walked in that door as a regular patrolman in 1989. My wife drove me to City Hall, and she dropped me off, and she went to work, and I walked in there, and I filled the application out. And I probably, probably like a week and a day, they interviewed me, did everything, and hired me. And that day I said that what I would do is I would actually share my knowledge of being uh, the culture I am, African-American, with the culture that's law enforcement. So they would understand and better have a better dealing with African-Americans because I'm there to kind of give them some insight right. of how we feel when law enforcement is present. And um, so I, I, I was always doing it and people would always come up to me and ask me questions, well, Hey, Reg, this happened. What, what should I do? And, you know, I, I would give them information, but they can tell you at City Hall, in my former position as chief or cop, that I've always kept it real with them. I always tried to get them to understand where we as African Americans were coming from. We just simply, as African Americans, want to be treated like everybody else. That's a fact. That's the basis of it all. Yeah. That's all. And, and when you look at the other side, on the Caucasian side, especially with Caucasian officer, 
he automatically don't want you as African-American to feel like he's stereotyping you. Most of them not. They, they, they're doing their jobs, but then when the two meet, sometimes things don't work out. So that's why you have to always work on the issues internally to try to make sure when you get to that point that you know how to talk to a, a young person, you know how to talk to a, a older person, you know how to listen before you actually think that this is how it is. Communication. Yeah, yes. right. So Communication, that's right. off the heels of that, I know we had a lot of traumatic experiences in the city of North Charleston, Charleston together, um, you know, 2015, of course, 2017, mm -hmm. Walter Scott, Emmanuel Nye. How were you able as a leader to keep your unit tight-knit but also have everybody understand, A, like, okay, we're experiencing this in person. This is not something we see in another state or another country. We're experiencing this. How you as a police chief leader was able to keep your unit tighten it man we had in 2006 and 7 we were we were ranked the city of north charleston was, charleston was ranked number seven in the nation for violent crime we were in between baltimore philadelphia chicago and it was embarrassing at that time during that year if you look at our population it was a whole lot smaller then but when you take about 25 homicides and put it into like 60,000, 70,000 people, that's, that's, that's bad math. Yeah. So that's why we were ranked that high. So we, we actually got a group together called a community police panel. We actually reached out to the ministers like uh, from Mount Moriah, Royal Baptist Church Charity, um, uh, Mr. Van, uh, Rep, Rep. Vanderbilt Evans off of Reynolds Avenue, um, the minister at uh, uh, St. Matthews. We re reached out to so many leaders in the community and regular leaders civil rights people from the NWCP, uh, National Action Network, uh, racial justice was there, um, all kinds of civil rights leaders. And we, we said to them, we need your help. Law enforcement can't do it by itself. And when they think they can, that's when mistakes occur. So we reached out to those entities and we got so much uh, good feedback from the community on how we could actually help patrol better, police efficiently, and truly be a public servant. And we actually brought the crime down to five homicides, working with them. But as I say, some of our techniques at the time was whenever we had a shooting in the community, we would saturate the community. Our main goal was to have officers in, the, in that neighborhood to calm it down, to let them know no yeah, that's major. going to occur. Mm. But as I said, if you don't give people clear defined directions, they will go out and find their own directions. And we, we lacked in doing that. When we were doing that every year, we were bringing the crime down. But I found out that we were really causing more issues with the community when it came to relationships. <coughs> and I'll say this to you. When, since I've been a police officer, the majority of people culturally that complain on police activity, and it's probably around the country, are African-Americans. So they would come to City Hall and complain. So I would always say, what can we do to lessen those complaints? What, what can we do at the initial stop? What can we do in the initial meeting at the home? What can we do when we see them in the community and we have a, a hot call? What can we do to actually uh, decrease bad activity, bad uh, association, therefore, we, will ha we have less complaints. And at the time, I was a deputy chief. So uh, I just kind of really worked on some, some policies and tried to kind of change some things. Then I became an assistant chief in 2013. And that was giving me opportunity now to ratchet up. But we still were practicing the same thing about saturation of the community. March, no, April 4th. 2015, right across there. That's where Walter Scott lost his life. I'll never forget that day, just like I would never forget later on that year, Emmanuel Nye. And uh, that's when I realized that some of our so-called deployments or tactics uh, needed to be um, changed and needed to be revamped, but it needed to have more inclusive conversation with community people young people, people who were my age, people who were older, 
get those people involved and tell us what are you what are your expectations of law enforcement? Now, homicides in this city, every year since I've been a cop, the majority of homicides in this city are related to African Americans victims and African Americans as suspects. The part nine uh, violent crimes from homicide all the way down to shooting and dwellings. Now I can go through all, all of arsons, all of the crimes, the part nine crimes. Um, African Americans are victimized in this city more than anybody every year. Mm. But but I don't like victimization at all. Any, I don't hate it, I hate any human being. I may just don't really, you know, kick it with. I them. definitely understand. Yeah. But I don't hate anybody because uh, I'm a God fearing man. But I hate victimization. I hate when you take advantage of a person. I, I, I don't like it. So what I'm saying to you, that turns into who are the suspects that perpetrate the victimization in most of my African Americans. So when we were going through that situation with the Walter Scott, we learned all so much. And in learning so much, we started to really understand ourselves and what our purpose were. And when 2019 came, I asked the mayor to let us have a racial bias audit perform in our, in our, our, in our police department because I wanted to be able to see what our weaknesses were and what our strengths were. And then when we found out after the recommendations came in, we would look at the recommendations, get a committee together made up of all civil rights people and community leaders with law enforcement. And then what we would do is we would actually look at those weaknesses and become stronger because we, we acknowledge them and say, hey, how can we do something better? Look at the best practices throughout the nation. Mm -hmm. Look at the evidence-based uh, conversations that are being had. Implement those into North Charleston with that committee and then turn this thing around. And um, that's what we were doing. We, we, we did it. Um, we're still doing it. We still have a long way to go, but at least we acknowledge it. Don't go away, but at least yes. get it out. Yeah. Yes. Drew, you have some. So what was the feedback from the, um, your team essentially when you made those, implemented those changes? Wow, of course now, in any profession, when you actually going outside the norm, sometimes you can get resistance. Even me, when, I, when, they, when folks bring me different type of uh, uh, strategies or initiatives, I don't, re I don't jump into it. I have to really read it get an understanding of it, and then look at my, my, uh, my area, look at the city and say, oh, can we do it? And most things we can do, we have to tweak it a little bit. So a lot of efficiency. Yeah, yeah. So what we did, basically, we just, uh, you know, I left from the top. You know, I, I brought in unconscious bias-based training because we all human beings have biases. We may not want to admit it, but we all have biases. Mm -hmm. So... Like I said earlier, acknowledging that you have biases, now we can talk about those biases. We brought that training in for the whole department. Then we brought in fair and impartial police training. You know, when you have, uh, when you're into a neighborhood that apparently may be uh, kind of, uh, you know, social decay because a lot of corporate service come in, a lot of issues ha you know, happening, still yet, you should treat that person that lives in that challenged neighborhood like you would treat somebody that lives in an affluent neighborhood. Same mindset, same principle. Whatever happens in that interaction, if it goes negative, you, you're the police. You know the law. You know how to handle it. But go in there with the same mindset to serve people in the same manner. And that's fair and partial, partial policing. And then we brought the crim de la crim. The YWCA, I met with them in, I think it was 2019-20. We sat down, and they, was, they told me about the racial equity training. And I read the synopsis of it, and I was like, wow, I like that, I like that. And so I went to my department, and I said, hey, we're gonna have you know, racial equity training for all of the officers doing the whole entire year because we want, I want to reinforce the one issue that we had was our relationship with the African-American community. I want to reinforce how we can continue to work with them. And I really believe that the men and women um, they learn a whole lot from that. So that's a good question. I mean, they, you, you don't, 
you try not to force people into situations because you, you won't get them to, to buy into it. Try to find ways. Uh, try to common ground. Yeah, common ground. Yeah, common yeah. ground. And once you get that, that common ground, like you guys said, you, you now you can layer on some of the things that you always want to talk about and want to really, um, really, really conversate. But is that uncomfortable conversation? That's what we did. It's math. Some some com some conversations are uncomfortable. uncomfortable. They, they yeah. are needed. Yeah, and we did that. That's when we started going to like churches and going to community centers, and we would get the young people in there because the young people from the high schools they would tell you, man, they're like, man, you know why? They, every time I go out, somebody stop me, or I'm walking down the street. So what you do, you listen to them, you let them tell us, you know, what happened to them, and we as officers would tell them exactly what we were doing, and then officers would tell them, man, listen, I don't think that you should have been stopped, or if you were stopped. You know, it shouldn't have been in that manner. Or the officers would basically flip the whole role. They would put themselves in a position. We would get a chair and let two civilians make a traffic stop on us. And we would actually let, we would, the officer would raise cane and say, man, you racist. <laughs> this and, and you can see the civilians, yeah. they, they, they're acting as police officers. We'd give them a little walkie-talkie. Uh -huh. and, and they were like, and they're like, well, I need your license, sir. No, nah, man. You know, I, we would just raise cane with yeah, them. And yeah. then we'll, we'll cut it. Once we cut it, I'll ask them, the two civilians, man, how you feel? Man, I want to take him to jail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we, we, we reversed the role. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. It's a learning moment, too. Yes, yeah. 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 It put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Yeah. yeah. They love it. They love it because they're like, wow. And I've seen young people who actually on video who actually experienced that. And when officers stop them, they'll be talking, say, man, I went to a training one time. And man, I, I, was, I was at 100. And I was the cop. He said, you was a cop. And he told them who it was. The Chief Burgess, oh, okay. So what that did, that helped those young people to understand. And I said this to my son, my daughter, and to y'all. You cannot win an argument with a police officer at a traffic stop. You can't. Gotcha. You can't because he is stopping you lawfully. And when he's stopping you lawfully, the more you get upset and you get you know, Resistant. indignant, mm -hmm. then it raises his mind to think that there's something else going on in the car. Therefore... You detain longer, therefore he may try to search your car. You know, things go up. So always, if anything, if the officer goes 100, you stay in control. Always. You know, Michelle Obama said when anybody goes low, you go high. You, you stay in control at all times. Gotcha, gotcha. You know? uh, I know we, we talked about, like, you know, uh, the origins of it went from town of North Charleston to city of North Charleston. And there's been a lot of economic growth. And even like even still now, it's still growing. Um, how do we use those resources to impact the communities? Wow, <laughs> we are the the the, the most uh, economic booming city in the, in the, in the state. We are the epicenter. We are the engine that runs the state. When you talk about the economy, um, for thirty years, city of North Charleston has actually been the number one retail city in the state. I mean, we made what eight point two billion at the end of twenty one. Um, it's, it's, it's everything you need here or need to, to, to buy or shop is here. It's it in is. North Charleston. Mm -hmm. And, um, not, not to mention all the factories and the new, uh, manufacturer places around here. Uh, and, and if you guys don't know, the city of North Charleston is the only city in the world that builds high end airplanes, which is Boeing high end cars, Mercedes, the only, only city that has those, those, those two entities at the same time. The same time. So. All the things we have in the city of North Charleston, you know, bring folks into the city of North Charleston. Um, but what we are looking at as a mayor, I'm looking at all of our positive things with our economy, continuing uh, looking at uh, a growth in a responsible manner, looking, working with the small business as well as the, the large businesses. I can imagine right here on Rivers Avenue in Remount Road, if you go down to uh, Morrison Drive, I believe, when you go downtown, you go on meeting, you make a left, and Morrison Drive runs into East Bay. You look at Morrison Drive now. Before you went there, like two or three years, it looked like, I mean, a dust bowl, like nothing was around it. You look at all the eateries mm -hmm. there, look at all the manufacturing, look at the condominiums there. I could imagine Rivers Avenue here becoming that You're type right. where right. big businesses, you know, they invest and they bring in the small businesses to actually sustain the bigger right. business. That's when, when, that's when, when Boeing came here, Mercedes came here, the, they're a big business, but the majority of businesses that came to support them 
is tremendous. Yeah, Bowen has a lot of support. Yes, they do. So I imagine that happened here in North Charleston. And being a mayor, that's my mind. My mind is how our city can continue to grow. And then once we can get those small businesses to connect with the bigger businesses, they're going to flourish. The taxes that come from that is going to help not only improve our communities, but heal the ones that that we need to work on the, right. the greatest. And um, and that's that's what I'm looking at as mayor. I'm looking at everybody, every citizen in the city of North Charleston should have an a equal and fair opportunity to recreation, entertainment, and employment. I mean, look at this city. Every, every we could go everywhere in the city. There should be a nice place to, for recreation, nice place for entertainment, and employment is is vast. We have it now, but we're at a point now that we can actually lift it up a whole lot more. When our businesses started working with the mayor, the first mayor, Mayor Bourne, that's when our city became our our, our North Area became a city. We continue to work the government, work with the businesses, and when they work with the businesses, our when the businesses prosper with the government, our communities are uplifted. That's how it works. When they work together, our communities get the best of things. Got you, got you. What is uh, one of the biggest challenges you see um, with becoming mayor? Biggest challenges, well, there's a lot of challenges, but I think one of the biggest ones for me is really, really having a sustained uh, uh, drive or goal within the whole city about how we're going to actually improve the conditions of the neighborhoods that are challenging. Mm -hmm. Because my central themes, my platform, the three pillars I have is public safety. You've got to feel safe in your home, in your neighborhood, and as you travel through your city. That, that's a must. The second is, you know, develop and improve better infrastructure. The highways and byways, we need to work with the state and to in, in, in improve them and widen them because we have so much traffic flowing through our city. Mm -hmm. A lot of people moving. A lot of people yeah. moving. But not only that, we need to work on that. That's important. We've actually looked at the mass transit. We have to work on a man transit. With, there's, there's a good program, but we have to look at that man transit, transit um, um, initiative and also say to, to the mass transit initiative, it's a, it's a great idea, but take in consideration all the areas that are congested. Now, they have a ride share uh, parking spot up at Otrano and Rivers. That's great. Why? Because when people flow out of Somerville and Goose Creek coming through North Charleston, things can get hectic there. So we can take a lot of that volume of traffic off of Rivers Avenue, dump it into those parking lots, park, and then you can get into mass transit. So I believe that the mass transit um, approach is great because I went to college in Baltimore. They have the MARTA system. Uh, but look at all the congested areas. In, the, in around the city of North Charleston, and that's where you should have a ride share. Because if you dump that traffic off the road and get it mass transit, you would have all that traffic accidents, injuries, congestion. Yeah. Um, also, with, with you know, my platform, when it comes to infrastructure, if we are looking at improving conditions in the challenged neighborhoods, we need to actually better improve these community centers better improve the neighborhoods there. Uh, and we can work at that as a city, we really can. Because some of these buildings that are called community centers were built in the 70s and 80s. Some of some neighborhoods don't even have a place for after school program. Mm. Um, we got a kid, um, Raphael Parks, he lives in the 10 mile, he has a hashtag free lunch program. Now you sit back and you say, well, why, why did he call that? Because when he grew up, his grandmother, she ran the, the um, program. But when he went there, that's when he got the love and understanding and, and the camaraderie with people who he had never met before. Mm -hmm. They live in the same 10-mile area. But see, he, he not only provides you a lunch, he gets you to talk about social-emotional issues. He gets to talk to you about conflict resolution. He talks to you about improving your self-efficacy, you know, your self-esteem. You know, hey, you, you, are, you are somebody. That matters a lot it to matters. a lot of young yeah. yeah, a lot of young ones. They exactly. don't have that. Exactly, because it, it combats trauma. See, it combats trauma. 
And then the third pillar is quality of life. But if you work on, on public safety and you're working with your infrastructure, especially in your neighborhoods, your quality of life will it's improve. Down. It will improve. Down effect. You know? yes. And then the ultimate goal that I speak to some of the businesses that they, they love being here, but they're like, see, we got to work on the crime. When you work on those three entities, crime will will drop. It won't That's go away, but it will decrease. Yes. Yeah. So what are, what are some of the things that you kind of do to like kind of keep a balance in your life as far as like the political versus your personal life? Well, just so you can just like, you know, stay grounded. Oh, yeah. When I do my political thing, you know, it's, it's, it's 100 percent, you know, hard charging it, going at it. Um, it's almost like when I was playing sports, man, to say hey, I'm, I'm, I'm working hard. I'm I'm, I'm involved. But when I'm when I'm with my family, I've always told officers and their families when I hired them, take them away from law enforcement while they're home. Get them away from it. Look at soap operas. Look at Westerns. Do whatever you got to do. Get away from it. Don't bring it home. Yeah, don't bring it home. So that's what I do. I try to get away. When I get home, my wife can tell you, man, I, we get our meal. We talk and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll go <laughs> to my little man cave area. Yeah, yeah. Which is last a woman cave because <laughs> she really run that cave. You got to cool out this yeah. time. You got to cool yeah. out sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, do. you do. And, man, we look at movies or Netflix. Yeah. Or we just talk. And, you know, my wife is a... She's quiet, but she's very uh, a generous person. She'll let's, let's go out to a nice little restaurant, or let's go riding someplace, and and or go see some family. And that's what we do. Um, and that's where I get away from all of us. So I have that balance. That balance helps me a whole lot to really, really uh, fly away somewhat. You know, uh, while I'm you know just sitting down. Yes. Got you. Got you. Quick question. So as far as like your go-to typical type of movies as, as you're relaxing, mm -hmm. what's your, your go-to? Wow, man. I love the old movies now. <laughs> I love the old movies. I love all. I mean, I, I, if you look at uh, the actors, um, Sidney Poitier and Denzel are my number one legends actors, right? And Gregory Peck and, um, oh, I can't think of this guy's name. It'll come to me, but... Uh, uh, they 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 all right there. The tear right below um, those guys. Now, my ultimate you know, movie. You know, I, I love westerns. I love epics. I like big epics. I love especially. I love Christian movies. I watch Ten Commandments and anything to do with the Lord. I watch it all day long. But when I'm when I'm really myself. Man, you kick, you, you put on Shaft, 1971. <laughs> My wife can tell you. Boy, Shaft. Hey, yes, sir, man. You know, hey, I, I watched John Shaft. And see, I, I always looked at Shaft as as the, the, the person in the community that you like. You ever remember looking at Crooklyn, the movie Crooklyn? I've right. seen it, mm -hmm. yes. And when you saw the guy, Vic, the military guy, walked up the step and them guys Walked inside, I said, that's Vic, that's Vic, that's Vic. Hey, Vic, what's up? But he was giving all the young guys yeah. love. When he was getting walking in, the other guy said, that's Vic. And when he said it, that's how I felt with Shaft. It's like, this guy is the guy that we all want to be like. He's the hero. Yeah, he was, because he, he knew how to deal with law enforcement. He knew what he can get from law enforcement to help his community. And then he actually knew exactly how to deal with his community even in the good and the bad on both sides, he knew how to deal with both of them, but he was trying to do right by his community. That's what he was trying. He was saying, if any problems in here, we got to get rid of the problems. Now, we can work it out. You, you, you two guys can sit down and talk it out, but we need to get this, this thing you know, stamped mm -hmm. out. So, yeah, I, if, if, if anything I'm going to look at, that I would never, I don't care how many times I look at Shaft, I got the CD and everything. I can flip it on, man. Hey, man, when, when Isaac Hayes start rolling that thing, man, who's the man? Yeah. yeah. So right. even even with that, like, um, you know, hip hop just hit his 50th year. Yeah. Just hit his 50th year. Yes. So, um, it don't got to necessarily be hip hop, but how is that, um, as far as like your likes and music, like your kind of your go tos, even when you came up up until now. I love it, man. I, I love music. I'm, I'm a DJ on the side. My, my handle is DJ911. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah, that handle. Yeah, That's yeah, different. That's my DJ911. Hey, you, you, you need me, call me. You, you know got, what I'm saying? He got, he got, he got yeah. the turntables and all. Okay, yeah, okay. Man, I got my system. I got a Pioneer system. Mm -hmm. I got speakers. I got everything, man. Lights, everything. Um, music really, really took me to another place. Um, and like I, like I was saying to some folks before, I, when, when, when rap came out, 
it was Run DMC and it was Treacherous Three and it was um uh you know the the Furious Five and Grandmaster Flash and um you had you had so many that came out you had the young girl who did Heartbeat and I mean everything was coming out in LL and I listened to everything they said and I really enjoyed it because they were talking about the same things that we were living in our communities and hip hop in fifty years I love it now I don't care about people being negative toward people at all. I just feel that, you know, we, hey, we got to love on people. Um, but I do love, like, T I've always been, a, I was a T.I. guy, too, because yeah. I'm listening to T.I. was like, he's sitting on a porch, man, in Georgia. I'm sitting on a porch in North Charleston, man. Yeah, you relate to yeah, that. Yeah, I can relate yeah. to the stuff. Like, man, I can I can understand it, man. And um, I've always, you know, liked what he was talking about and, and liked what he, actually what he saw. And then I saw him in movies and things, and I said, "Yeah, same as um as Ice Cube." You know, I saw him when I when I watched uh, his the movie that they had, which is an awesome movie. Didn't know that Easy E was that that smart, um, how what he wanted to do. But I look at these guys and said, "Man, I remember when you want to act in Hollywood, you had to go to acting school. You had to. I mean, you hear everybody say, "Man, I had to go to acting school." Man, those guys don't go to acting school." They act because it's a normal thing to them. So all you have to do is give them a script. They can go ahead and knock it out. So when I saw hip hop and all the females and you know um, that it came through and um, you know Queen Latifah and all, all those people, just, I saw it and I learned so much from it. And I you know I love hip hop. Um, I love music generally, and I really understand it more than anything. But it just really really gave me an opportunity to look into myself. Like I said, Earth, Wind, and Fire. And the Temptations are my number one, number one and one and one group. Legendary. Yeah, yeah, I love it, man. And um, and I played them all day long. But not only played them, I know the history behind that those groups. You know what was David Ruffin dealing with? You know, uh, you know how Maurice White, you know, got MS and 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 he died from it. You know, all these things I learned about these individuals because we sometimes look at entertainers as different than us, but they're not. They're human beings. They have issues just like we have. So uh, I love music, man. Music is, like I said, God created music. I just can't sing. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I try. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. Music really helped me, helped me to to see the world as it is. As it is. Yes, it really has. Um, take us back to your uh, your HBCU days. I know you went to Morgan State and you actually played football there. Like, what was that experience like for you, like, you know, um, going around in the, the Baltimore area, you know, how'd that impact you? Yeah, when I decided to go to Morgan State, I, I, I knew I, was want, I wanted to go there. I had about three other homeboys that I played Little League in high school with on the same teams, and we all decided to stay together. Um, but with me, I just really went up there because I wanted to keep balling. Um, be honest with you, and hopefully kids can listen to this and understand. Um, I wasn't no academician, man. I, I wasn't. I, I struggled, but I got my lesson. Um, to get that scholarship, but what I realized all those years of running and jumping and, and catching and, and, and running track and, and long jumping, all that was what God, the talent God gave me to get to get to that, that education because education is that's the way that we can actually turn things around. You know that that education provides us those opportunities that you simply can't get without it. Um, so I realized that so. Going to Morgan State was a was a joy for me because it got me out of South Carolina. It got me away from my mother and my father. It, it made me become a man. And um, when you were up there in Maryland, and at the time in '84, when I went there, believe it or not, they had 1.2 million people up in the Baltimore area. Mm. And I mean, I'm coming from a 30 to 40,000 population here. Culture big change, you know, yeah. yeah, it was. Um, and I I bought I brought down here the first um, in '84 the first Nike patent leather shoes. Um, my friend, he had the, the patent leather snakeskin Adidas. And I mean, everything we had got up there in the Maryland, D.C. area wasn't even down here. Um, there wasn't any cell telephones. There weren't any fax machines. There weren't any, you know, YouTube, none of that stuff. So everything we brought off of 95 back down here, people were like, whoa, where you get those from? Mm. You know, we brought everything back. So being up mm -hmm. there it helped us a whole lot. Um, as also, too, um, uh, having, like I said, being up in Maryland and coming home, I, I, I understood how life really was when you are a grown person. Mm -hmm. You know, with my with my upbringing, 
having a, a mother and a father and two brothers, I mean, we were doing things and we were making differences. But, man, when you were in a college campus, especially at HBCU, you got all the fraternities and the sororities, I mean, doing their thing. And see, back then, they were being pledged above ground. Have you ever seen the movie School Days? Yeah. yeah. See how they did everything above ground? Yeah. That's how it was. I mean, my wife, she's a Delta. So everything, and I'm a mega. Everything was done. We, it was done above ground. Everything you saw, the fraternities, the roadies went to, you actually saw it. Now it's different. So um, that life, not only, because you know, you, you, when you live in the African-American community, your parents give you your history. Your grandparents tell you your history. Your great-grand tell you history. But when you are at a HBCU, you really understand, you know, uh, how, how far we have come as, as a people. Mm-hmm. And you really appreciate it. You really, really love it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think the HBCU experience really, really gave me a tremendous uplift of life. And I appreciate it. What do you think? Uh, what do you think about just your time spent in college transitioning into police force? Because you said your, your vision was um, basically, you know, playing football. Yeah. So that moment that you switched into doing that. What was that moment for you like? Oh wow! Like I was saying, I I was my my whole uh, dream wasn't a goal, but my dream. That's why I, I tell young people, goals are attainable. Dreams are good, but you have to look at goals because goals you can work at. So my goal, I mean, my dream was to play on Fridays. I did that in high school. To play on Saturdays, I did that in college, and the, the ultimate uh, dream was to play on Sundays. That's the NFL. That didn't come to light. You know, I got signed as a free agent with the Toronto Argonauts, but I got cut, so that was it. Yeah. So it's like, what, what are you going to do, Reggie Burgess? What are you going to do? You were raised to be a man about things. You were raised to actually work on your, your life as a human being. And um, so what I did was, basically, I kicked it in gear. I said, hey, I always wanted to uh, improve the conditions that I saw in my community, which was under social decay. I went to improve those conditions. So that's why I, I jumped into law enforcement, because I saw that what, what was going on in my community, law enforcement could help a whole lot better Facts. to improve those conditions. Mm-hmm. And that's why I jumped in law enforcement. Yeah, that's why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you got something? Yeah, you go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, you say you played a wide receiver at Morgan State, right? Yes, sir. So uh, what kind of what kind of 40 time you getting? Well, <laughs> I had to ask. I got to ask. I mean, I mean, you know, coming, you know, growing up here, just like you guys, this is a very competitive area. The Tri-County area is very competitive. One day you can go play against Burke High School, which I played against Burke. There were three schools downtown when I was coming up. We're four. There was Bishop Bingham High School was downtown. That was downtown at one point? Yes, Bishop Bingham was downtown. Man, that's crazy. Where where was Bishop at? Uh, You know where the uh, College of Charleston, when you go, when you're in Calhoun, as you're going toward, uh, let's say you're going toward West Hasley, Uh on your left-hand side, that's where Bishop Bingham started, right before you get to MUSC. Oh, oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. College of Charleston took it over now. Oh, Oh, okay. Bishop Bingham was right there. Then you had C.A. Brown. That was a school. My my grandparents went to C.A. Brown. Yes, which was a tough school, (laughs) especially basketball. (laughs) Um, then you had Charleston High, which is right off of Rutledge. Okay. Rutledge and Calhoun. And then you had Burke. So you had, in those three schools, out of the four schools, Bishop Megan was, you know, uh, Caucasian, and the other sc- three schools were African-Americans. So city of Charleston had a big African-American population down there with those three schools. So we would go down there and play against Burke and C.A. Brown. Charleston High – I, they, they didn't have a football team when I played because the population had gone down so much. They had a good basketball team. And, man, we would go down there and just wax Burke. I mean, they were like our second homecoming. We just beat Burke <laughs> Brown. And that I ain't true. Y'all, 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 y'all had real estate up <laughs> in Burke, huh? Y'all got real estate yeah, up oh, there. Oh, man, yes, sir. But I tell you, this is how, how serious the schools were, though. Yeah. This is how serious the football. Even though they were like the walkovers in football, they had awesome basketball team. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't that's, touch that's them basketball. Yeah. You couldn't touch C.A. Brown and Burke in basketball. But football, this is how tough it was. We would leave Bonds Wilson, which was lo- located 
at, on Liberty Hill. If you knew where the Academic Magnet School Arts at, that's where Barnes Wilson High School is at. That's our campus. We would leave there, go up Lackawanna, make it right on, um, on, go on Mixon, make it right on East Montague. Before we left our campus, when we get ready to pay Burke and Brown, the Highway Patrol said, fellas, put your helmets on. <laughs> on the bus, we had our helmets on. We rode all the way down there, downtown to Stony Field with our helmets on. Stony Field. <laughs> through through, yeah. through the, the downtown area and to the school, to the stadium. We were, we were told not to take our helmets off. We played with our helmets all night long. And we had our helmets on going back. Why? Because Burke, C. Brown, as well as my high school, they, we always would break buses. Mm. We would. They would. I don't care if we win or lost. It was always that. That's what we did. And, you know, that was wrong, but it was, it was kind of like an inherited thing that that's how it happened. The only time you didn't have anybody to break buses, basketball. Because there was no need for us to break their bus because they were going to beat us anyway. <laughs> yeah. See, Brown and Burke, man, they came, they, they leveled everything up, man. So, um, like I said, just, just you know, um, you know, uh, this, this area growing up, seeing all the talent in this area, it made me work hard every day. I was told by a little league coach, Coach Earl James, he said, son, you're going to go to the next level. That's what he told me. And I had David Meggett who played Little League with me, high school with me in college. He went to the, he got drafted in the fifth round by the Giants, played 10 years in the NFL, all Madden team. He was at one time the third strongest player, and he was a running back. This dude could do any and everything. I seen him run a 4-2-6-40 without even breathing. And here I am, I'm growing up with this guy on Liberty Hill. Mm -hmm. Paul Pentegrass, Brent Carter, all these guys were super athletes, man. So. When you you around super athletes, either you're gonna try to emulate that, or you're gonna just be one of the guys that stand on the sideline hoping somebody's gonna give you a, a chance to play. And I wasn't built like that. I was built because my uncles, my uncle Ernest and Clarence Burgess, they were from Union Heights. My uncle, my uncle Clarence and Ernest were the, were the were the stars at my high school. Every time I go to high school, I hear the principal telling me all how good my uncles were. I knew that. Then my uncle went to South Carolina State and played ball. He balled up up there. My, my cousins, my, my, my brothers, they all went to play football in Virginia Union and, and, and NYU. So I had a pedigree behind, in front of me, I mean, you know, above me to show me the way. So when I got out there, I was balling. So if you ran, you know, a 4-5, I'm running a 4-4. Four, four. Mm. You know, if you've heard of me, I'm, I'm going 36. So <laughs> High but, level of competitive. Yeah, that's yeah. What it was. And that was every day in my life. It didn't matter what it was. I don't know if y'all ever played half rubber. It's a game that you get a, a, a broomstick. You break your mom's broomstick off and take the broom part and throw it away. Uh -huh. So that's and a risky kinda, game already. Yeah, yeah well, you, exactly. <laughs> but it's an old one. Yeah. Your mom's yeah. yeah. right off. So you take it and you sand the bottom part that, you know, that's frayed. Yeah. So it's smooth. And you put tape on it where you can, you can use it to uh -huh. swing. We get a rubber ball and we cut it in half. Okay. And we pitch that ball and the ball floats and curves. So when we didn't have baseball, we found a way to play half rubber. So everything in our community, we played every sport you can imagine. We ran track, but everything. We did everything, but we did everything on a high level. That's why when we got to high school, I never played JV. Never played JV. I came in high school playing varsity. Never played JV. So when, you, when you're there, you, you don't think anything about it until you look at the competition on the other side of you. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I got to college, the speed of Little League is different than the speed of high school. The speed of college is tremendously different than the speed of high school. Definitely. But we had already, we were built that way. So we, you know, I started every, you know, God bless me, I started four years in college. Four That's years. That's yeah. a, so I see you got some uh, stylish Jordan 1s on, you know. Yeah, man. Uh, got you your know, number on there. Yeah, yeah so, that's my high school number, number one zero. Got you, you know, got you. Yeah. So what were some of your favorite kicks coming up? Well, uh, of course, we didn't have Jordan, but they didn't, have, they didn't even have leather sneakers back then. They had um, pick and pay. <laughs> 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 they had the number one sneakers to wear in the neighborhoods I grew up with were Procades and Converse. Um, the first leather sneaker I ever saw in my life was 1982. Ponies. Ponies had the white leather with the black little pony on it, and I got a pair of those. Then Adidas came up with the hard shells, and then that's when Larry Bird and Magic, because at the time, Larry Bird and Magic, they were the only ones wearing leather. Yeah, it and was killing. When, yeah, that's when Converse 
started to put that thing out there. And um, man, everybody, man, we would, we would, man, we would take our leather shoes and we'd go buy like white shoe polish. And every time something was scraped, we would clean it off and put the white shoe polish because we wanted to be all white. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, I'm a Jordan guy. Uh, I love Jordan. Um, I, I, I saw him when he played at University of North Carolina his freshman year against Pat Ewing. And that's when the day, because I was a Dr. J fan at the time. And when I saw this kid get in the air, and he stayed in the air longer than I have ever seen anybody else stay in the air. And I'm a long jumper. So I would go to the center, and I would take off and try to stay. And I'd get up there for a while, but I never stayed. So I watched Jordan, and Jordan would jump in the air, and everybody else would jump in the air. And when everybody started going down, he's still ascending. And I said, people, nobody That ain't said, normal. That ain't normal. <laughs> you know? And, I, and I, I know my son is a Kobe Bryant and LeBron fan. <laughs> and I respect those guys. I respect all athletes. But a guy like Jordan... A guy like Muhammad Ali and a guy like Babe Ruth, they don't come around that often. Generational. They, yeah, they, they, yeah, they, yeah. they don't. They, the things that they do, you just can't emulate that stuff. And when I saw Jordan, I just followed him way before he, he signed with Nike. And when he signed with Nike, I said, man, listen, that's my guy. And, you know, I always kept up with him because I, I see a lot of me in him. I think he's about two or three years older than I am. But just the way he, he went out there. Jordan did exactly like that, that uh, little league coach told me. Play every game like it's your last you might and not remember but we uh me and Reggie we used to watch your uh your Jordan tapes that come home come fly with me tapes <laughs> yeah because yeah. yeah, they would be back with yeah, they, when, yeah. in the case <laughs> yeah we used to watch those a lot yep. um yep. your campaign slogan win every day um tell us about like how you came up with that and what does it mean to you well to tell you the truth the group came up with it we were trying to get a, a slogan that would really really uplift people get people kind of generated to believe in what we were doing and Folks said to me, said, Chief, man, you, when you go out into the communities, not all the time you go out to communities when there's a violent situation. You go out there just regularly. You go out there for community events. Um, to get to know them. Yeah. Sense of comfortability. Yeah, exactly. Pin in the park. Um, we, we do uncomfortable conversations. We do a shop talk, talk in, in barbershops. And they said, man, every time you're in there, I hear you talking to people about how they can overcome. You know, and I told them, I said, man, because if I can overcome what I came through, man, anybody can do it, man. They can be better than me. So they were like, man, you always want to win. Every day you want to win. And I said, that's it. Every time you meet a person, and especially some young kid that you have to mentor, and you have to tell them, man, tell them your story. Tell a young kid your story, man. Tell, tell them, hey. See, because see, these young kids think that they're the only ones going through what they're going through. But when you tell them, man, listen, man, I'm telling you, man, back in the day, this is what I did now. This is how it turned out. That's when he's going to win every day. Why? Because you can say, oh, man, you, you, you feel me. You understand what I'm, what I'm going through. And when you see that young lady that has a little trouble with, with uh, you know, friends and, and feeling like the, the people are teasing her or making her feel less than a young lady, man, you tell her those times when you felt like that. Because when you do that, now she, she can believe that she can win every day because you believe in her enough to tell her something that's good for her. And that's what the winning every day is about. Every time you have an opportunity to spend any quality time with anybody, help them to uplift themselves. Help them to find something good in themselves. Teach them, well, I won't say teach, but tell them how important they are as an individual. That's winning every day. To me. Got you, got every you. day you, you out there doing something. That's a lot, man. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. So, you got anything, Drew? How do you transpire that into the community? Well, when, um, you know, being a mayor, all that I have met as Reggie Burgess has become a part of me. So when you take what I've learned, transition is not easy. You have to look at, you have to, first of all, take in consideration the audience that you work in to try to transition you know, trying to help them to, to understand what you're trying to say. Then you have to look at what, what is the real the issue that's going on. Some people may be homeless. Some people may have a job but having issues with the leaders and the managers on the job. Some people may live in a home and things are going on that they can't really comprehend and they feel left out. So 
whatever the situation is, you have to understand how to transition into giving them the right advice, giving them something that when they when you give them something, they can say, you didn't judge me. You never told me that, oh, if I did it, you can do it. Nah, all you're saying to them is, listen, maybe it may have been in 1976, but I've experienced some of the stuff that you are experiencing now, and this is how I overcame those things. Even though I may have still fallen some, I never fell back to where I was at because I had learned and I had actually said to myself that I do count, I do matter, and I want better for myself. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have people that's in your family that are going to hurt you. You have people in your your friends that are going to disappoint you. You're going to have people who you are close to that are not going to step up and, and, and lead and guide you. But you, you, that person that you are, if you believe in yourself, you can find somebody that's going to bring you to a level where you can understand that, yeah, okay, I'm here now, but I know I can go on on my own because I've gotten something there that I didn't have before. And that, that's, that's with me as a mayor. I would want my mayor for the city of North Charleston to be able to go in any community in the city, doesn't matter what the culture is, and listen to the people there and get their feedback on what they think is best for them. I would want a mayor to feel like when you go into a challenged neighborhood, that that word challenge can can change into a precious, uplifting neighborhood, but what do we do to get it there? You know, if I would want my mayor to look at the mass transit situation and realize that in North Charleston, this, that is where the problem lies because everything comes to North Charleston. So all of the conversations should have North Charleston residents involved with the mass transit. You know, being, being a mayor, I would want my mayor to actually be able to say, hey, every student that go attend schools in North Charleston should be provided the same opportunities as anybody in any school was given. That's what I want my mayor. And then at, at the end of the day, I want my mayor to be accessible at all times. You know, I want my mayor to, to not only, hey, if I go, have to go to City Hall, there's no problem because I may want to go there. But if, if I call my mayor, my mayor is going to say, hey, I'll meet you where you are. So, I mean, those are some of the things That's great. being a mayor that, that I'm about. I, I'm, I'm a people person, um, but I'm an educated individual. And, and my education has afforded me to understand that I don't have to be in one silo. I have to get up those silos, tear down those walls, and open up so everybody can have access to me and I can have access to them. That's what I'm about. You can come to me or I can come to you. It doesn't matter, but we're going we're gonna to address the problems. May not be able to solve them all, but guess what? I will listen. Gotcha. Hey. It's leaving off on a high note right yeah, there. Man, right there. Yeah. Y'all got anything else? Um, no, I just, well, I do have one more question. Um, so with the cost of living in Charleston, especially North Charleston, continue to rise and um, the, the sense of, uh, you know, low income housing and all of that stuff, what are some changes that you think you can to implement such as uh, wages, higher wages, and, and things like that? First of all, as a, a mayor, mayor candidate, I need to know the AMI, average median income. In the city of North Charleston, the average median income is between fifty dollars and $52,000 a year. That's the average, right? In the city of Charleston, that's in North Charleston. Fifty, fifty-two thousand. In the city of Charleston, the AMI is seventy thousand dollars. So that's about what twenty thousand more than North Charleston. But in Mount Pleasant, the AMI is one hundred and six thousand dollars. That's what it is. One hundred six thousand dollars. So North Charleston is the epicenter for economy. As the prices have gone up, the salaries need to go up. The businesses in our city lo- would love to do that. The government needs to help them to actually 
look at a broad brush attempt to say, oh, hey, we, we can flourish. Our EMI can meet 70,000 like the city of Charleston. Our EMI can go to 106 like Mount Pleasant. Because if you look at those communities, right, for instance, you look at Mount Pleasant, they're 106, that's the average medium income. When have you heard about a drive-by shooting over there? Mm. When have you heard about a, a homicide over there? I don't think I, I, I ever heard about anything. I don't even have even thought about I, I mean, that. That's I, a great point. I, I mean, nothing against Mount Pleasant is a great place, but what I'm saying is when people flourish e economically, everything else uh, everything else comes comes alive and nobody's got time for any drama. Yeah, it's not a thought. Yeah, nobody's got right. time for that. So That's if we can point. work with the businesses, small and large, as a city and say, hey, we've got to start increasing these hourly wages because the cost of living has gone up. You know, that way that would help the, to actually increase the AMI in the city of North Charleston. And really, if you look at it, like in 2022, we were actually, I heard that um, two cities in the state were playing, paying more than we were. Now, I'm a competitive person, but I'm a very thoughtful person. I'm always looking, reading, searching for things to bring to our department. So I went to the mayor and city council and said, listen, we are the most high active police department in the state. We do more, more uniform reports. We respond to more calls. I've got men and women that, that I need to treat better than I'm treating them. And we became the highest paid in 2022 because the, the leaders realized that we need to take care of our employees. That's what I'm saying about the city, what the city can do with the businesses. We've got to take care of the workers that's working in our city. We've got to do that. Once we are able to do that, people who are people who looked out or looked out for in at their jobs. My father said this at the paper mill. He worked 28 years there. He loved going to the paper mill. You know why? He said, because son, I had four reasons why I go to that job every day. Your mama, you, your brother, and your other brother. He said, I will work hard for y'all all day. He said, not to mention, I love my job. See, if you pay people better than you paid them before. The morale. Yes. Right. Their morale goes up. They're going to work hard for you, and they're going to actually be punctual. They're going to work late. Yeah, sense they're of gonna, pride. Yeah, yeah, sense of pride. They're going to take care of the business. I mean, I've been there. I know how it is when I got my raises at the restaurants, man. I mean, I'm like, I'm in the house, man. Yeah. Hey, I'm good. <laughs> that's that's you your need. restaurant. Yeah, yeah. 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 it's mine now. Now you become a part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so, yeah, we've got to do it, but we can do it when we actually analyze with the other businesses what's best for the businesses. And the businesses, they want to hear it. But we had, as a government, we have to we have to kind of work something out with them to understand that the more they do for their employees, the more the city's going to get stronger, and the more the people that are, that's living working those jobs are going to elevate. It'll be their an lives. efficient cycle. Yes, their lives will elevate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Leaving out on a high note, what's one of your favorite places to eat throughout North Charleston? Oh, wow. I, man, to tell you the truth, I love all the restaurants. But, you know, I grew up on Bertha's. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I grew up with them. I mean, the, the Grant families, I mean, I, I love them. I grew up with all of them. But I, I, actually, I, I actually visit all the restaurants um, in my city. Everything about North Charleston, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to visit. Just like right now, once I leave here, I'm going to go by to some, some of all the, some of the uh, I, I was at OG's uh, Barbershop down by the, I call it the projects area. You yeah. know, that's why I grew up at. That's why I called that because it's where I grew up at. But down there off of Rivers Avenue um, near Horizon Village. And I was so, I was there hanging out with them all day long. And, and, and the reason why it touched me is because I remember growing up as a little kid, it was a store. And, you know, that store was good, but we needed that. We need something else in our community. Here you have a store, you have a restaurant, you got a beauty supply, and you have a, a barbershop. Yeah. And I was like, that's that, that right there takes care of the community. That's how you empower you to, yeah, 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 that's how you empower. You don't have to go anywhere because everything you need is right there. And I told Mr. OG that I was proud of him, man, and um, he's a super dude. Got you, got you. So Bertha's number one for you. Got you. Yep. Yeah, man. Yep. That's, that's, yep. probably, that's probably my top pick, too. I, I was about to ask yeah. you. Yeah, no, it seems like that's a consensus no, around that's, here. That's, that's yeah. the one right there. So uh, the just just to leave off on a high note, why can people entrust you with being mayor of North Charleston? Well, I'll say this. Um, I served them for 34 years. I served and protect them. Uh, I had no problem giving my life up to protect a citizen. 
in my profession, I'm uniquely, my perspective is unique because I have worked on the front lines with the citizens every day, every year I've been there. I worked in the various communities and also I'm intimately involved with the daily activities of decision-making in the police department and the budgetary process. Every year since I've been there, I've been involved with all those things. I, I take a look at the former mayors. The former mayors of North Charleston, Mayor Bowen, Mayor Conant, Mayor uh, Summy, they have, they were elected officials. I'm a, I'm a former chief of police. I want to be the mayor. What I do have that I can share with everybody that they have is that we work full-time for the citizens of North Charleston. That's valuable. Full-time in inclement weather, crises, any kind of situation that came before us, we were working full-time for them. And I believe that all those years I worked, I never thought about it that way. My, I gave a tremendous amount of my life to the city of North Charleston because I wanted to do that. And I will not only do it as mayor, but I will also do it in a manner where people know that they have somebody that they not only can see, but they can touch. And that person understands them because I've lived in the city in all areas like they have. And I truly understand what it takes to run the city. Got you, got you, yeah, so. I want to thank you again for allowing us to be here. Great, thank you. great conversation. Thank you Hopefully we can do this again before Anytime. the big day. Yes. And, um, you know, anybody got anything else, man? Yeah, man. Thoroughly enjoyed this, thanks. man. Just like, like, like Mike said, man, yeah, thanks great. for allowing us to come in your headquarters and, you know, have this conversation with you. You know, I have conversations with you all the time, but, yeah. you know, just to do it for the camera so people can see, you know, in a different light. Yeah, That's important. Special. So, you know, um, from us to you, you know, just like once again, thank you. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, I mean, I mean, you guys, your platform is tremendous. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Really appreciate it. You guys are, y'all, y'all are forward thinkers, and um, the questions you you ask me, or some of the things that you want me to talk about, I don't we don't get those type questions. Um, it's always about that one thing, crime. Um, crime matters now, but other things matter as well. And thank you all for being well rounded. Any your questions. You're welcome. You're no welcome. Problem, man. Respect. All right, so, you know, we're going to get up out of here, man. Once again, man, um, if you hear anything that gets you in your feelings, always remember. We're just some messengers. We out.